Ultra. Welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future Part 3, uh, one train chasing minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez in the Fourth Estate. <laughs> and joining us uh, th- this week, we have an all-star week, and joining us for our first day, Lauren Milberger from uh, the Fordcast. Welcome. I am so excited to be here. I feel like I've been studying my entire life to be on this show. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's good to know. Um, all right. Well, today we are going back to talk about minute 96, which starts with Clara writing after the train and shouting for her beloved Emmett and ends with uh, Doc warning that the whole boiler will explode. Um, it's a really tight yeah. minute. Yeah. Yeah, you know, very much so. Um, because of like, you know, like stupid, like, like gender rules and stuff. Men don't often get an opportunity to like swoon. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the act of swooning isn't known to be like a, a thing that like, you know, like the guys do, but mm-hmm. God, that's sh- that, op- that opening shot of Mary Steenburge and galloping <laughs> in that like towards. I'm so glad towards- that you say that. And and you know what? Oh, it's, it's not just that. It's that she that deep purple outfit that she's wearing. It just sticks oh, yeah. out in oh, all yeah. these oranges and and browns, and it's so striking. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's uh, that that dress. We, we we've been talking about it in uh, in minutes past, but it is very lovingly shot by by Dean mm-hmm. Cundey, and because it just they'll they'll just cut to a wide shot where it's just like this desolate western landscape, but then she's just standing at a train platform, and it looks like a painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it interesting. I don't know if you guys have come across this uh, as you've been going through it because uh, I'm listening to you guys, but I'm behind. I'm I'm not in three yet. Um, is there a reason why she's in purple all the time? I mean, it's very striking and it definitely makes her stand out. I mean, when I think of purple, I think of regal. I think of that it, uh, queenly and, and, and princesses and things like that because it's considered a royal color. Mm-hmm. But is there a particular reason why she's always in purple? Well, from what I understand, as far as like, it, it really comes down to sort of a color theory concept, which mm-hmm. is that um, she's the only one in the movie wearing any sort of color so that she stands out as like, you know, the love interest, like the yeah. important female character in in the, th- like, she always, f- you know, focuses your attention in the way that she does for Doc. It's It's just sort of to make the audience feel about her the way that doc does, which is that she's the only person in the room. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 it works like it works crazy good. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful dress. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the, how good the costumes in this movie are. Oh, they're so but good. I, I, I think that, you know, those you, you always see those museum exhibits where they have um, like costumes, like costuming and stuff like that. And I've never been much of a costume person. Like I when I I've gone to some of those and then, you know, I'll see stuff that are considered like really iconic outfits, like stuff from Star Wars and Star Trek and all of that. And in and, and like Batman suits and things like that. And I look at it and I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's the suit in that movie. Huh? 
but I don't think that there's a lot of costumes that would really like make me just stop and stare at it. But I think this dress would be one of those things. Um, if I saw this dress like in a museum exhibit, I, I don't think I would be able to stop myself from just like staring at this thing and pouring over it. Cause it's, it's, it's really, if I could choose an iconic image from back to the future three, like I kind of think I would pick that dress. I agree. Weirdly. And, and yeah. I was thinking too, it also sort of makes it seem like she's from this other world like Emmett is, that she doesn't really fit into this. I mean, of course, she's coming to the town to be the teacher, so she isn't from this town, but it really makes her stand out that she doesn't necessarily maybe belong there like he does. Like he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so when, you know, when they go off together, it, I mean, I always think of it, I mean, this isn't this minute, and I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but uh, when she's in the background, when they go and look at the map, and you mm -hmm. see that she's waiting to be picked up. And that's why she goes and, and rents mm -hmm. the buckboard and, you know, ends up almost falling into the ravine. Um, mm -hmm. So by by the colors that she's wearing, it, it, it makes her pop out. And even the smallest little, you know, inklings when ne necessarily uh, you would maybe notice her more nowadays when you go back and watch things over and over again. But I, th I think on the big screen, it was like, oh, well, there's that that sort of gorgeous purple. And right. Dean Virgin is just delightful in this movie absolutely don't yeah. really see much of her in this minute but she's just <laughs> there's the both of them together they really have really wonderful chemistry and if if it, that casting had been just a little bit off you wouldn't care as much about the the two of them and them getting mm -hmm. together and what ends up going to happen where she might fall off this train <laughs> right right no, yeah this yeah, would have been a real drag if they if they really hadn't have nailed, well, I mean, it, and we talked about they, they they wrote the part of Clara for for Mary Steenburgen, but like, yeah, like if they had cast someone, just not even not even a comment on that hypothetical actress's talent, but like, you know, even if the chemistry with Christopher Lloyd was a little bit off, this movie would have been a drag. Absolutely, yeah. and that can Absolutely. happen. You can have two really great actors, mm -hmm. and and most of the time they do chemistry reads, obviously, but still, sometimes that's really small, and it's like. Separately, these two actors are great, but together they just don't mesh, and then your whole movie's gone. I mm -hmm. would love to see a video of the first time that Natalie Portman came in contact with Hayden Christensen. <laughs> <laughs> like, did they just like circle each other for like a few minutes? <laughs> that's the thing. There had to have been a chemistry read for that, and that's, yeah. a, that's kind of an example of like sometimes it doesn't work. You think you're like, oh, they're they're great together, and no, not so much. I I definitely don't think that there was a chemistry read <laughs> for them. There's no way. Um, like, I, Ryan, but, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone could have Ryan Gosling could have made a hate Santa gets everywhere work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean that's another great example how great actors can take horrible writing and elevate mm -hmm. it. Whereas yeah. bad actors necessarily can't save a movie. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's also, um, that's the reason why in a lot of, you know, you always see that argument where, where you have like this big A-list actor and then his love interest is always this like actress you've never heard of or actress mm -hmm. with, with a very few credits, you know, and is always like way younger and everything. And, you know, obviously, there that large proponent of that is sexism. However, um, I also think that there is there's an element of th what you're talking about that chemistry read because you can't if you have two A list actors, 
they're not going to want to do a chemistry read because they're not going to want to do any sort of reading. They just want to sign on for the movie and go to work. Um, and I think having that chemistry read is important. Cause like you said, if the chemistry isn't there, your whole movie falls apart. Um, and I, I think that that's important because I think it would go the opposite direction. Like, I don't, I don't think Jennifer Lawrence would want to do a chemistry read with, I, I bet she didn't do a chemistry read with Chris Pratt in that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, movie. no. Yeah. But Katie you know? Christensen wasn't a big name at the time though. No, no, not at yeah. all. And so, so like I could see them doing a chemistry read. My point there was that I don't think George Lucas would care enough to do a chemistry read. Um, I think Hayden Christensen was just who he wanted and Natalie Portman was already playing that character. And he was that's like, true. well, that's what it is. <laughs> um. Well, going back to talking about how, you know, mostly it's an older man and a younger woman, something that I, mm -hmm. I from the beginning really loved, even as a kid, was that these are two age appropriate Christopher Lloyd and Mary Steenburgen in a relationship. And they didn't cast a younger woman, which they could have totally done. Mm hmm. No, I mean, and, and it would have been appropriate for the time period. Exactly. Um, yeah. But, I don't but think like, appropriate to, to Doc, I think that's sort of a testament right. to them knowing the character really well. I mean, granted, granted, the character of Clara is in her early 30s and Doc is in his 70s. Uh, oh my God, that's right. I always forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah but thanks to the magic, of, <laughs> thanks to the magic of 2015 surgery. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you're right. I mean, you know, on a metatextual level, yeah. Like the two actors aren't that, I think they're only like 12 years apart or something like it's that. So, so funny that I forgot that because I watched it again because of course I own them um, up to our minute. And uh, in the fifties, I was like, oh man, he, this is great. He didn't have to, you know, do any of the, um, uh, the the makeup that he didn't like, mm -hmm. you know, which was why they gave him, you know, these these special surgery. So I was thinking about that, but still, when we got to that part, I didn't think, oh, well, of course, he's really actually in his seventies. It's, it's, it's an odd, it's an odd bit of it's an odd bit of screenwriting trickery where it's like it's something they tell you so that you can forget it. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, and my understanding is it's because Christopher Lloyd just didn't want to sit in makeup, which I get. Right. Right. Right, especially not through two movies. Because, exactly, because which the they whole, knew they were going to do. Right, because the whole trick with the makeup in the last one was that he he really only had to wear it for like four scenes. Um, uh, you know, because he's only in the mall scene and then the mall scene again at the end of the movie, dropping Marty off and then picking him up again at the end of the movie. Um, and and then when he realized that 1980s Doc was going to be the main Doc <laughs> in the next two movies, he's like, "Oh no, 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 no! We're not doing that." Um, <laughs> uh, so it's understandable, but yeah, it's uh, it is a a big difference in age between the characters, uh, but between the actors, you know, it works. Yeah, like it it just it it speaks to the character. It speaks to how well you know the writer you know gail and zemeckis understood the character like it would have been so easy you know you can easily imagine like a really skeezy 1990 studio note like hey can we get like molly ringwald to play clara but like it's mm -hmm. it's cool it, and it and it just kind of makes this like people want to like these these big mainstream movies and it's like yeah if you if you don't put like these weird skeezy awkward things in them they're a lot easier to you, your brain will override the logic leaps if it if it wants to live in your world you know does, does mm -hmm. that make sense yeah i think that yeah uh, people aren't given as much credit as yeah. they actually have 
Absolutely. Um, so yeah, getting so she, to the to the minute specifically. Yeah. So she's um, so she's galloping towards her love I, with like a yeah. Florence and the Machine song playing in her heart. <laughs> I I know that uh, these are big batteries that was uh, that were put together for these walkie talkies um, by fifties doc, but it really just looks like they're talking into like Coke cans. It does. It's adorable. <laughs> it's. It's really funny. Um, I feel like there should be like a piece of string connecting the two or something. Marty, these are our best friend phones. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of great how like it it shows uh, how what a wonder what great screenwriting this is because a lot of things that are you know mentioned casually at the beginning of the film are brought back here. Like I I gave you an extra battery. I gave you this. Here's this. You know, mm. as well as obviously Doc going through like all the exposition of okay, here's what you need to know for the rest of the the movie. Mm-hmm. These are the rules. Um, yeah. So these, like the small little things like that are so important so that you're not questioning. Well, why does he have this walkie-talkie? But yeah, it does. It does sort of look like. Uh, this weird uh, box thing that they're just putting up to their their hand, like the string should be there somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Doc uh, tells Marty to turn on the time circuits and set the date for October twenty seventh, nineteen eighty five, at eleven a.m. Uh, this would be a full twenty four hours since they left at the beginning of Back to the Future two, or I guess technically the end of Back to the Future. Um, which is, which is crazy that they've been gone since the end of the first movie. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just like, you know, a holiday weekend off or something. <laughs> right. Where did you, what did you do for Memorial Day, Marty? Uh, you know, I went to the old West. I went to the fifties. Almost wasn't born, you know, typical. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it is typical for him, which is weird. Um, this is an exciting, you know, three weeks of life uh, that that these three movies take place over. It's uh, it's it's kind of crazy when you think about it. And the fact that only two days have passed in his actual life in 1985. He's going to be so different on Monday. I know. <laughs> well, that's be- what that that's what that comic was about. Right. It's yeah, like, but I don't like the- Yeah. Yeah, I know. But you know he had he had the really harrowing, uh, what was essentially two days and um, it aged uh, several years. Yeah, he's he's uh, more mature now. Yeah, right. <laughs> he should go back to 2015 and get a thing, a get a surgery to make him look uh, the way he did in 1985. Yeah, <laughs> he should, because um, he's aged like seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back on, on a metatextual level, uh, at the time of this movie's release, 1985 was as far away from the present as 2012 is to now. Mm. Ooh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. I mean, I remember being so excited about this. Like, I had never seen a movie where the trailer for the next movie was at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So I was waiting for this. I was waiting for three, like... Like a mad woman, well, a mad child. It's the sort of thing that uh, when, you know, when they did it in uh, at the end of part two, it wouldn't be repeated again until the early 2000s with like the Matrix sequels and the pirate sequels. I was thinking about that. That makes sense. Yeah. 
Because <laughs> um, I don't even think they did that for Lord of the Rings, did they? Even though it was coming out like a year later. Yeah, you had to buy the DVD. And the DVD always came with like a behind the scenes look at, you know, this winter's the two towers. And I would always like, be like mom. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's uh, it, it was it's really cool that they put that together. Um, this was I mean, the, the production for these two sequels were it was a it was a tight schedule and they made it work you know, really well. I mean, Zemeckis was working overtime during this because, you know, as we've said before, he was, he was, uh, flying in to, to, um, Nevada or wherever it was that they were shooting this, uh, flying in every morning at like six in the morning and then leaving every night at six at night going back and watching the edit for part two and then flying back the next morning every day. Uh, that's crazy. That's just yeah. crazy. Can you imagine watching just bad, nothing but back to the future for minutes at a time for like two years of your life? <laughs> um, you know, I can't, I surprisingly enough, I can. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> uh, so the uh, the Presto logs, there was some confusion about that last week because I didn't know I didn't know what they were called last week because I didn't know how to really look them up. Um, but uh, Doc actually refers to them as Presto logs uh, in this minute. So <clears throat> I looked up Presto logs. Um, turns out they're a real thing. They're the uh, the kind of logs that you buy at the grocery store to, they come in like the plot. You like light the plastic bag that they're in on fire and put them in your, uh, your, uh, fireplace. Um, they're made using, uh, like sawdust and wood shavings. Like it's basically like recycling wood that you wouldn't normally recycle. Uh, but you, you press them into these Presto logs and, uh, that's what these things are, but these ones are chemically treated and have uh, a kind of uh, really like dense coal called anthracite. Um, that so doesn't sound good at all. No, no, no. So these ones, these ones are special. Uh, he he invented special Presto logs, but the concept of a Presto log, uh, basically an artificial log, is uh, is a real thing. So um, not only can he make his on. own, not only can he make his own iced tea, he can make his own Presto logs. Right. Yeah. He is a genius. I mean, he invented true. time travel. So true. none of this so, surprises me. Hopefully so they are not, not they are not bundles of yarn as we thought last week. Um, so right. when when did he make these? When did he make the scale model? I mean, the man yeah, is, a, is a whiz. He has a time turner. I'm sure. not I'm not sure. I mean, we we only know that he sleeps based on the opening of this movie. Um, we don't know how much he actually sleeps. That's true. And really, does that constitute sleeping or does that constitute passing out? Because he got, he technically passed out and Marty like dragged him into his house like a sack of potatoes. Yeah. So uh, maybe one of those people who just is so smart that he doesn't need a lot of sleep. Yeah. Right. Right. Maybe there's like scenes of that we just don't see where they have like mandatory like nap time, like every like half hour. It's entirely possible. Well, that now, is not a set. And now nap time. <laughs> and they just like curl up on the ground. <laughs> <coughs> um, 
So yeah, so the uh, the Presto logs, they're all numbered and color coordinated. Um, even though he's sort of like throwing them all in, I guess he threw them in in a particular order or something. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. they, he threw them in in the number that they are, right? One, two, right. three. And then right, right. I, I guess I figured. Well, you can only see you can only see the number three clearly, so that's that why I was true. confused. I noticed that. Yeah. I was looking, I went back thinking maybe I missed it. Yeah, but like, right. would something different happen if he had put in like two first? Well, I mean, first of all, it's obvious so that the audience can see. But from a movie point of view, from you know the real life of the film, I figured that they each had like different kinds of chemicals on them that made them burn at different rates, and he uh, like calculated true. in his head. And so he's like, "Well, if I throw them in in this order, then the, mo- the moments and the seconds that it takes it to burn, I mean, that's that sounds like something that Doc would know, mm-hmm. right?" Right. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's what's going on because I mean, he even mentions, and as we know, you know, later in the movie, the, uh, the Presto logs, they do sort of explode. Um, and he mentions it here. Apparently. Yeah. Well, they explode in a, uh, uh, you know, like a sudden burst of speed, I think is how he puts it. Um, yeah in this in this minute so they obviously you they reach a uh a particular actually yeah they reach a particular temperature and then explode but actually that makes a lot of sense because i was thinking if the boiler as he mentions is going to explode at 2000 degrees 2000 degrees is incomprehensibly hot um because you know we don't we're not around things that are that hot you know um and so i i don't think he would have had to put the logs in all three at a time because 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 you can't there's no way he'd be able to touch the door or open the door it would be too hot he would get like third degree burns like instantly um so yeah, it makes sense that you would do it this way. You would you would throw them all at the same time, but chemically treat them so that uh, they would burn at different temperatures. Um, so yeah, so it must have like he must have coated them in a chemical. That's what that I burn, think. Yeah. yeah, that burns at a particular temperature, so that when it hits that temperature, it burns through the chemical and then ignites. Um. So that must be how it works. So yeah. That 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 makes a lot of sense. I like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that I mean, I think that about covers everything uh, in in this minute. Uh, Lauren, tell us uh, about uh, your your background with the uh, with the movies. Do you remember seeing the first one for the first time? Yeah, I do. And it's funny. I, I remember it more of of what led up to see it because uh, I was very young and my parents had seen it first and they're of the generation of, you know, they were in their early like teens uh maybe not exactly full teenagers but in the in the 50s around this time like mother was probably like 12 so she gets like all those those references and they were like we got to take the kids i don't know why they thought we'd understand it um but my little <laughs> brother um had a tenter tantrum he didn't want to go and so that's what i remember was i was so upset i wanted to see this movie probably because my parents had like, you know, talked it up and my brother would, just didn't want to go and we had to convince him to go. And then we finally convinced him and of course we loved it. And I, uh, 
became very obsessed with these movies. I had a scrapbook. Uh, I had uh, posters from the magazines on my wall. I have all of the Back to the Future 2 trading cards. And I was a card-carrying member of the Back to the Future fan club. <laughs> so what it, what it, what it was entailed in the Back to the Future fan club? Well, you got a newsletter. Okay. It was black and white, but it was made with like really nice like news, not newsprint, like magazine print. Mm -hmm. And I bet I could still find them and I'll take pictures for you guys. Because I, I did find my card at one point when I was at my parents' house with my horrible like, you know, child signature. But it was just you, uh, you paid some money and then you were part of this and you got your little card and they sent you things. Um, I think they sent me a patch as well and probably like a sticker. Um, but it really was just getting these newsletters with like articles and interviews and sort of stuff that we might be, you know, interested in. It was, it kind of looked more like a zine. Was this before back, was this before the sequels or after the no, sequels? No, this was right when the sequels came out. Like okay. they, they made a big deal. Like I think it was like right before the ride opened because I did go to Universal Studios and the ride had not been opened yet, but we were able oh. to shop at the store. Oh, okay. Very excited cool, about. Cool. So I got the, uh, <laughs> never had a car, but I have the license plate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got that beautiful hardcover book of, you know, all the beautiful drawings and the behind the scenes stuff. Um, I was, it was it was a really big deal in my life. You mentioned mm. you mentioned having a scrapbook. Can I ask what was in the scrapbook? Oh, sure. I had all kinds of articles of uh, from the movies and Michael J. Fox, particularly. Um, just like it was one of those um, photo old photo albums with the sticky part, and then you put the plastic over it. So mm -hmm. I would just like cut out pieces of paper and from anything that was on it, even just the TV guide, like it was going to be on TV, and I would put it all in this book. Is is pretty pretty adorable. I still have it. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I really like that. You know, when 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 I hear like, oh, someone has like a Back to the Future scrapbook, or someone's really into Back to the Future, it like I don't know, man. It, it kind of means something different than to hear that someone's really into like Star Trek or Doctor Who, because mm -hmm. I feel like if you're really into Back to the Future, it's coming from more of like I don't know, like like the the stuff the stuff that you obsess over is less like schematics and plot and mythology and more like oh it's so funny how like how, what this character is like what this character does you know mm -hmm. yeah well because it's not sort of known as a typical fandom yeah yeah yeah. Whereas, you know, Doctor Who and, and Star Wars and Star Trek is is still all great and I, I enjoy all of them, but it's it's more of a known sort of, you know, niche entity. Yeah. You don't hear many you know, I don't even think we, we don't really have a name for ourselves, do we? Back to the future fans. Yeah. I don't think so. Not that I could find. Although I will I will argue with you, Nick, over over the idea that the Back to the Future fandom doesn't pour over schematics because <laughs> No. I mean, we both know that's not true. Uh, there is there is a documentary that just came out last year or the I year saw before it, yeah. that, yeah, about about uh, them like rebuilding uh, 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 the 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 movie DeLorean, like the hero DeLorean, uh, from from scratch using the blueprints oh. and schematics and stuff. So um, there's definitely a side of the fandom that is like obsessed with the nitty gritty detail of, of these inventions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you're right though. I mean, that's, and that's the thing that's different about, um, about back to the future. Cause it, what, what I think is interesting too, uh, cause you know, when you compare it to star Trek, 
I think one of the things that's interesting about about Star Trek, and this will loop back around to to Back to the Future, but when it was a TV show, Star Trek was more plot-centric, and then when it became movies, it became more character-centric. Yeah. Um, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's one of the reasons why you have that that side of 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 trekkers or trekkies or whatever is the appropriate thing to call them currently um but yeah when they where where you know there's that side of that fandom that want like a like just an adventure like we we want just a star trek adventure like but that's not how you make movies like movies need to be about characters and they need to have a character journey and everything. But what, but that's, that's what I find interesting about that is the, uh, the fact that Star Trek sort of reinvented itself as, as films and made themselves more character centric. And here we also have a very character centric, uh, uh, thing and so i i do i think it's interesting like again like you have those two proponents of fans like the people that pour over schematics and they're one kind of fan and then there's the fans that you're talking about uh nick that you know like lauren who who has a scrapbook of stuff that they like um i was a child i I still don't have the scrapbook just just to clarify (laughs) yeah yeah well yeah okay had a scrapbook but yeah um, I, I think that that's, uh, I think that's cool. I don't know. Like, I, I like, I like that this is, um, <clears throat> like Star Trek in that you can, it, it, it holds focus for two kinds of fan, two very different kinds of fans, you know? And I think also what maybe makes it a little sort of different is that, you know, with something like Star Trek or, or Doctor Who is that there's a timeline in which different generations can sort of jump into it. Um, same thing, I think, with Lord of the Rings, like you read the book or you, you see the movies, um, but more so with Star Trek and Doctor Who is it has a better chance of, of reaching someone in a larger sort of time span. Um, I'm now meeting people in their very early 20s who've never seen Back to the Future. And that was very shocking to me. And then I thought, oh, OK, I guess it makes sense that it may have sort of skipped over. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more of a universe with these other things that you can find different stories uh, these are there's just these sort of three movies, and it's not like there's another DeLorean out there going out and having other adventures, mm-hmm. uh, except for the cartoon series, of course. But uh, it sort of just sort of ends with this sort of three beautiful little sort of films in the same way that some people haven't seen Dune or um, right. all, the two uh, Ghostbusters movies, even though there is a generation of people, which I didn't know until I started hosting trivia, because um, I did a Back to the Future, and then I did a... Uh, Ghostbusters for this company was that there is a generation of guys who still dress up and they have all of the paraphernalia and they have the the, the packs and they go around as Ghostbusters and that's their thing. But mm-hmm. it feels a little more niche, whereas you hear all about Trekkies and and because I, I think because it, it just has a wider sort of entry point for different generations of people at some point. So right. so let me let me ask something very important. So because you were able to experience them in like real time, which is like super like pure and, and great. Do do you yeah. have, do you have a favorite Jennifer Parker? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's really hard because I, I grew up on, on Je- um, Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue, of course. Yeah. And there's more of her, but I felt like Elizabeth Shue was sort of playing it a little bit too broad. 
Yeah, it feels. Like- I don't think I, I. We we talked about that. I don't. I don't think she was playing it too broad. I think that she was playing it broader than Claudia Wells. But Back to the Future Two is a broader movie. Yes, exactly. And so I I hate to falter for that because it, it did sort of get broad. And that wig was terrible. And mm-hmm. the two of them don't really have much of a a part to really say yeah. which is my favorite. And, and that right. and that's something that comes up again on the show is like. One of the few, because compared to a lot of movies in the 80s, the, the this trilogy really has aged pretty, pretty remarkably well. Uh, yes. But one of the few, like, kind of cringy, like, ah, oh, that sucks that, or, you know, is is that the this this trilogy has such great female performers like Claudia Wells and Elizabeth Shue and, of course, Leah Thompson and Mary Steenburgen. And, like, they're in a collective maybe, like, 15 minutes of the trilogy. Uh, yeah, Mary Steenburgen has more to do, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Claudia Wells or Elizabeth Shue does. And it's kind of, well, I, yeah. Oh, no, I went please. to this uh, this parody where they, they acted out the movie. They do this with a bunch of different movies. And, and the running joke with Back to the Future 2 was that they kept leaving Jennifer everywhere. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, it, that's sort of horrible to do to your female yeah, character. Like, just literally, like, unconscious luggage just like dragging her from place she'll be fine and it's like well eventually if you succeed she'll be fine yeah i i still question that the jennifer that marty finds on the stoop later in the movie is actually uh the jennifer that they left in i don't i I don't question because like time is changing around them so they're they're becoming completely different characters the only people who don't seem to remember their new timelines are Marty and Doc. Yeah. yeah. Wiped out of wiped out of existence several times yeah. over. Like that's what's interesting about this trilogy, because in other time travel things, usually like eventually like you remember both timelines or like the everything sort of merges. Uh but they, you know, there's never where Doc's like, oh yeah, I remember when I sent you back or I put you in those clothes or they okay. you know, never yeah. remember. So, mm-hmm. so, so we, so there, so we have a thing where the Marty that leaves the good timeline to go to the fifties that our Marty sees, we call beta Marty. And mm-hmm. so okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And so like when our Marty comes back after part three, you know, and he's like, oh, cool. I got my cool new dad, but cool new mom, you know, Dave's cool. Linda's cool. Everything's perfect. But what if like, like, we don't know anything about beta Marty. Like what if George was like, oh, now son, yes. remember I. Remember five years ago, we at, we we caught you like killing that that raccoon in your room, and we <laughs> and we, and we promised that you would never. And like, what? No, I he can be a rich douche. Like, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. There's just so many things. Like, are they? And eventually, are they going to decide that like Marty had amnesia because like the family's going to get wind that he doesn't remember anything, anything. about real life. He doesn't have any memory. Any. Every every like encounter he ever had with these people, he's gonna have no memory of. Unless right. I mean, and again, time travel fake. But maybe the <laughs> longer he's in his own time period, because as we mentioned, he's been for the last three days, he's been skirting around in time. Yeah, maybe it'll all sort of come together, and then, but except for Doc, because he's still time traveling. I don't. I don't know because I don't. That's not how they've presented. No, I mean, there's no time travel they just works. Yeah. They're like, bye, movie's over. Good luck. Right. With your new life there. Well, and no one, no one else has like gained memories that they didn't have before. Um. So I, 
I yeah, I mean it, it it's oh. it's confusing. I don't I don't okay, know okay. I don't really know but, how that works. Because on Doctor Who, they talk about how Amy can remember both timelines. Mm-hmm. Right. The alternate timeline and she remembers her present. Mm-hmm. Right. And even Rory remembers being, you know, like an, an android. Yeah. Right. So, so okay, but okay, to, to to cheat a little bit and go forward in part three. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't the Jennifer that we find at the end of the movie she rem- she has the she has the you're fired thing in her pocket. That's right. She, she does. does. So that she had does. to carry over. Yeah. I mean, but obviously, also, obviously the movie is saying she's the same person. Yeah. Um, yeah. She also I'm, I'm not a dream. So like, it's not like she's like, yeah. oh, my God, this happened. She's sort of like, oh, I guess it was a dream that I had. So she doesn't really believe that it, yeah. it all happened. And she she didn't have that much of her life changed. It's her future that's going to change. So it's it's not like she's oh. a whole new family like Marty yeah. does. Yeah, it's right. not like she's going to come home and like Dan Aykroyd's going to be your dad. I mean, I we never see her dad, so oh, he sorry. could have always been Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. We don't know. Jennifer, <laughs> ghosts are real. Aliens are real. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would be a great... Uh, I want this sequel now. I, see, this is what I want. Jennifer goes on her own adventure and her dad is Dan Aykroyd. See, yeah, and, and not to sound like... To like, I don't know. Hope this doesn't sound like condescending or anything, but like, I, I think one of the, I think one thing that could benefit from doing like a Back to the Future update or reboot or new chapter or legacy sequel or whatever they're calling them now is it'd be cool. To, it'd be cool for this fandom to have like a Ray or a Jin or so or or a Jillian Holtzman. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, that would be that would be nice, but I also don't want any more. So oh. there's that too. Well, yeah, that's the thing too. I mean. It's when your favorite franchise over extends itself. It's horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as much, like as, much as I would love like a really great female lead in a Back to the Future series, I would rather just have a new time travel series with a female lead. I agree. Boom. Yeah. Although yeah. I, I, I would be curious to maybe see uh, Doc's kids. Yeah. More than the sure. cartoon. Like I, because. Like them as teenagers i don't know but it'd be hard because you want you want michael j fox to be in the film and Mm -hmm. there's a good chance that he could not do it right right yeah no i mean it's it's complicated for sure (laughs) for sure um all right i think could use a reboot is it's complicated what what is that as an action adventure movie? Yeah, totally. Like, what if, like, Alec Baldwin was like, we have to go to Brazil and, like, solve a mystery. And then it's like, but Steve Martin has to come too. Actually, no. What what we really need to do with the female reboot is that you have um, Meryl Streep from It's Complicated and okay. um, Diane Keaton from Something's Gotta Give. Oh, my God. And together, a Nancy Myers verse. white and go on an action adventure movie. Yes. And, like, <laughs> oh, my God. And then at the end credits, it's like English Lindsay Lohan from Parent Trap. She's like, I'm here about my sister. We have to stop my sister. And it's like every Nancy Myers movie is like connected. In a white turtleneck. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Martin is still working on Meryl Streep's kitchen. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think that uh, that about wraps up Minute 96. Uh, Lauren, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, tell people about the Fordcast. Yes. I host a podcast called the Fordcast, a Harrison Ford podcast. And we are currently going through all of Harrison Ford's films in order. Uh, we talk about trivia. We talk about our thoughts, where Harrison Ford was in his career. 
Uh, we are in the 90s now, so that's fun. We're just about to record Sabrina soon. And uh, we are on SoundCloud and iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and everywhere you can listen to a podcast. If we're not there, please tell me and I will put us there pretty much. Uh, and uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram and Tumblr and uh, all the fabulous uh, places, Facebook, although no one knows there. Um, <laughs> and our website is the uh, FordCastPodcast.com if you want more information. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Lauren Milberger, which is L-A-U-R-E-N-M-I-L-B-E-R-G-E-R. So are you ready to check us out. Are you eventually going to reach uh, the Expendables 3 on his filmography? <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Amazing. Uh, he- I'm hopefully going to pair it with another film because that might get a little yeah. tiresome to just sort of talk about that film, uh, mm-hmm. although I'm looking forward to it in the sense that I'm pretty sure that um, they used a double for the back of his head. He mm-hmm. he has my favorite, one of my favorite line readings in a movie ever uh, in, in, in Expendables 3. Uh, <clears throat> he's, he's I have not a, seen it yet. I'm, I'm keeping it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. He, he has a great, he, he's, he's asleep. Maybe <laughs> we should have you on. I would love to. Yeah, that'd be fun. Awesome. Uh, yeah, you guys are you, you're getting very close to uh, covering another Zemeckis joint. Uh, we are, yes. Very soon, yeah. We yeah. we covered that on No Roads, uh, our No Roads edition podcast, a few months ago. I saw um, that. In fact, you guys reminded me because I completely forgotten that Zemeckis had directed that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that'll be <laughs> that'll be an interesting <laughs> conversation because it was definitely an interesting uh, movie for us. So. I'll, I'm definitely going to be listening to that one. I'm excited. Well, awesome. I'll have to listen yeah. to uh, yours. I want it to be pure, so I'll have to listen to yours after we record ours. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, we will be back tomorrow with Minute 97, guys. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye.